Welcome to Promised Land at Home Podcast, where we bring people into an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and each other. Wherever life has you, we pray that today's sermon both challenges and encourages you. We're so glad you're listening today and hope you enjoy the message. We have a special treat for you today. Um, without further ado, I want to get him up here. Uh, Pastor Jeff Garner's been uh, connected to our church for 10 or 12 years now. We met uh, a while back, and we've been coming back and forth. He's been coming here. I've been going to his church in San Francisco. And uh, we made the decision late last year to study the book of John and uh, the gospel of John. And um, Dr. Jeff Gardner got his doctorate in the gospel of John. So I said, we have to have you come. And I told him, don't get a return ticket. Just get a one-way ticket. And we'll let you know when we're tired of you. And we'll send you back. (laughs) Would y'all please welcome Dr. Jeff Garner to come speak to us. Come on. Good morning, Promised Land. This is the Promised Land. Yeah. Look at your neighbor and say, we're living in promises around here. Yeah. I I can feel that. I I feel you believe that. Hey. 59 people got baptized last Sunday. What? I wasn't, I wasn't here for it, but I've heard all about it. Um, I, I also have heard that there's been problems with people finding parking spaces. I mean, come on. Aren't you glad just to be part of something that's, that, that has life in it and it's moving in it? Hey, if you were one of those 59 that got baptized last Sunday, would you just... Hold up a hand if you were. Whoo! Yes, yes. I love baptismal services because I feel like I experience it all over again. <laughs> At their expense of getting wet, I get to relive that moment when I had God encounter my life in such a powerful, vivid, real way. Isn't it true? When we're, when we're baptized, especially for those of you where this is fresh, like last Sunday, wasn't that moment like the joy? How, I mean, can you even describe and put into words what you felt? Ah, it's like, oh my God. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. And to be able to be here on the heels of that baptismal service and to be, you know, when I sense when I flew in, I just had this sense that the Spirit is at work in a deep, rich, powerful way. Something's something's happening. Not something's about to. Something's happening. Like you are in something that's happening. These are the, the good old days right now. You are in them. And it's such a delight. I mean, I... Robin, thank you so much for inviting me to be here to participate and to be part of this. I'm just so thrilled. I love your pastor. I love Erica. I love the kids. I love uh, mom and dad and and cousins and all y'all. I just love you. And I I also want to say just a quick thank you on behalf of Lighthouse Church. So I pastor downtown San Francisco. And during the pandemic, we went through a very difficult time. And I reached out to Pastor Robin and Pastor Robin and Promised Land San Marcos 
came through for us in a huge way. That church that you helped this past week, I was on the receiving end about a year and a half, almost two years ago, when our church completely, you know, we have a building right downtown San Francisco, and uh, due to the pandemic and not having an in-person gathering for 65 weeks, we completely tanked. And um, thank you. I feel like you are family. I really do. I feel like you're family. Family help each other out, and you all helped me out. And today the church is back and we're growing and incredible things are happening there. And so I just want to say thank you so much to you from the bottom of my heart. And on behalf of Lighthouse Church, thank you so much. So your gifts, you don't see it because you don't, you're not able to put a face on and a picture to what's happening. They make a difference. Like it's huge. And whether it's five or ten or, or a penny or whatever, it does get multiplied in ways that are glorious. Jesus has a way of doing that. So I just want to say thank you on, on behalf of me. Now, we are in the Gospel of John. Woo! Nudge your neighbor and go, woo! Yeah, we are in the Gospel of John. This book is alive. Like it is breathing. It's real. It's a real thing. And um, for those of you that have been traveling in that book, if you go out in the foyer on your way out, we have these they're really inexpensive. I think they're like $5 for a journal. And what you have is the whole Gospel of John, and we are in this to finish it. We're in it to win it. So we're going to be working through the Gospel of John. So if you want to go out there and grab one of these, it's really cool because you can sit there and pull out a pen, and you can take notes during the service. And then you can read the scripture that I'm reading, and you're like, oh, wow. And then you can go pray it this week. And I mean, Folks, it's such exciting times to have something like this. Get out there and get one of these if you would like. And if you can't afford it, come see me and I will happily buy you one of these because they're so inexpensive. So seriously, I will buy one for you. If anyone wants one, just let me know. All right, so here we are. We are, we've been working our way through John. We're in John chapter 3. And two weeks ago, we talked about Nicodemus. Remember that story about Nicodemus? Here's this religious elite guy. He comes to Jesus at nighttime, and he's like, Teacher, we know that you're someone come from God because you do all these incredible miracles. God must be with you. And so Jesus has this long conversation with Nicodemus about being born again, that you must be born from above. And he has this beautiful conversation. And then he talks about being born of water and of spirit. You talked about that two weeks ago. And then last week... You had a baptismal service, which is like we're kind of living the gospel of John. I don't know. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Nudge your neighbor and say, we're living the gospel of John. Okay, you're not as excited as I am, but that's okay. We'll get there. I got, I got some time, so we'll, we'll, we'll work with it. Now, one of the things that's interesting about, about God's presence and about experiencing this new birth is that when we experience this, we encounter um, Henry, Henry James, who was a, a professor, he, he talked about the, the, the numinous encounter, that when people have an experience with God, this is a big word, numinous, and it's kind of like holy. Like you come into this moment where you, where you experience something that is so holy, it's both terrifying and it's like radically exciting. And these emotions are kind of mixed, like, oh my God, this is amazing. We don't even have words for it. In fact, uh, Neuroscientists tell us that what's, what goes on in one of these experiences that we have with God is that, you know, you've heard about, you know, right-brained people and left-brained people. How many of you would say you're a right-brained person? 
all my artists and all of my thespians and bohemians. And, all right, how many of you say you're more of a left brain person? People like math and language and order. And, and then some of you are not sure whether you're right or left brain. You're just the whole brain, right? You're like, I'm a whole brain person. Okay, good, good. We're, we're, we're tracking here. So we're told that, of course, on the, on the right hemisphere of the brain is where you get all of your creativity, joy, excitement. You know, I don't know if any of you are watching Jacob up here playing the keyboard uh, during the service. Do you see? He's like, he's like all over the place. He is definitely a right-brained person. Like, like, you know, Nate is definitely a right-brained worship leader, right? He's up here leading, and we're like, I mean, if you don't have joy, just when you step in here, just watching him, you're going to get it after a while. You're just like, man, that guy is really happy. So that's all the right brain activity. And then over here on the left brain is all the stuff like math and language and logic and order. And, and when we talk about it from a spiritual perspective, reading or the spiritual disciplines or things like, you know, when we say someone's super judgmental, like a person that's super judgmental, they kind of are functioning um, over here in the left brain. Well, here's something that's really cool. When you have an experience with God, like many of you probably were having during the service, I was watching some of you, and you're like standing there, and maybe you're crying, or maybe you're feeling like goosebumps, or you're just like, ooh, this is amazing, this feels great, or you're sensing, you're, you can't quite put into words what's happening. What neuroscientists tell us is that it starts here at the, at the stem of your, uh, your brain stem. It travels up, and this happens with any experience you have. If you smell mom, mama's chicken, or if you... If you um, see a beautiful painting, or you look at a sunset and you're like, oh my God, it starts right here. Your senses take all of this information in, the sun setting and the pastel colors. Or yesterday, I was out walking, taking a little walk, and I passed a horse that was out in a pasture, and I called the horse. I didn't know the horse's name. I just said, horse, come. <laughs> and I put my hand out, and the horse came over. No, this is, this is true. The horse came over. I held my hand out there, and I didn't have anything. I felt really bad. But, you know, I rubbed the horse's neck, and I talked to the horse, and I said, I do not know your name, but I shall call you horse. And I gave the horse his name that day. So in that moment, though, as I'm standing there, I'm just having this, the grass is green. It's beautiful. And all my senses are just like going, this is an awesome moment. This beautiful creature, I'm rubbing its neck, it's beautiful, right? Well, Going up the back of my brain here, it starts, we are not just left brain, right brain people, we are whole brained people. And it will start right here and it comes up, that signal comes up and it says, Grandma's cooking. Chicken, oh my God. Or bacon, oh joy. And comes right up here and it comes over into the right hemisphere of our brain and it sends a signal that gives us incredible joy or happiness or peace. We get all those feelings right over here. And then it makes its way all the way around right behind your eye. It comes here, and then it makes its way around uh, over here to your left brain. And over here, you try to put words to it. Like, what was that that just happened? Well, she's cooking with tarragon, or she's cooking with lemon and basil, or she's, you know, all of that you begin to compute in here. Have you ever had an experience with God where you couldn't quite put it into words, but you felt incredible peace? You felt forgiven, clean, just clean, like a clean slate, brand new, but you didn't, have, you didn't have words for it. Well, 
neuroscientists tell us that this is, this is normal, this is what we do, because this side of the brain operates at the speed of joy, is what you know, Dr. Alan Shore, Dr. Uh, Jim Wilder, uh, these neuroscientists are telling us, it operates at the speed of joy, which is super fast, and, and we're just, and it comes around here, and then we're trying to compute. We've got dual processors, we're trying to compute it all. Well, frequently when we have an experience with joy, baptism, in God's presence, a moment like today, it can leak out of our life quickly. And it's an odd thing. Like you can be right here <laughs> crying, feeling so good, high-fiving people, walking out smiling from ear, to ear, from ear to ear, just this huge grin, wanting to just pound your chest. This is the most awesome time ever. Get in the car and somebody cuts you off. And you might have been speaking in tongues while you were in here, but now all of a sudden you're saying some things that you're like, where did that come from? I did not want to say that. Why is that coming out of my mouth? You're like, what's wrong with me? I just was with God, and now all of a sudden I'm angry. Anybody ever have this kind of experience where, okay. All right, I'm going to encourage some of you to go to the first service because in the first service there's only one person that could relate to that. Maybe it's just that early morning service that just kind of gets people to not. So what has happened in those moments is we have things that are robbing the joy. And here's something I want to say about, about, about Christianity. And um, I, I just finished researching and writing a book. It came out three weeks ago. It's called Real Happy. It's on happiness, Jesus' surprising path to genuine joy. And it's a discussion on kind of the history of happiness as it relates to Jesus and the Greco-Roman world that he was a part of. And what I'm noticing and what I'm seeing happen is there is this longing, longing for the church. And, and the Holy Spirit is longing for his people to embrace the joy that he has for us. And, um, and we have things that can rob our joy. I'll just quickly give you a couple of things that can rob our joy. Nitpicking. You ever got around somebody and just start nitpicking at stuff? Just nitpicking at this and nitpicking at that. And pretty soon you're just like, you just don't have any more joy. It just takes it away, right? Or I, I call these my, my, my three kill joys. If you've been the nitpicker, <laughs> when you're nitpicking, isn't it true you cannot be a happy nitpicker? How many joyful nitpickers do you know? Not nose pickers, nitpickers. <laughs> How many joyful nitpicking people? You, you can't be a nitpicking person and be full of joy. Or know-it-all. You ever been around someone that's just a know-it-all? I saw, I saw some of you nudging your spouse. <laughs> now, that know-it-all attitude, right, that just says... I already know that. I've already been there. And then they want to argue about everything. You know, you have this wonderful moment. Oh, I just had this wonderful experience. God. Well, God doesn't come to people like that. It's just like always they know more. They, that, they just rob the joy out of the whole thing. Just let me have my day, right? But that know-it-all attitude. And then there's this achievement culture. By the way, this is a real thing. Dr. Laura Santos from Yale University, who's done several studies on depression and anxiety in youth and in young adults, has said the number one problem for kids today is not cell phones, it's not whatever. 
it's achievement culture. She says achievement culture is driving kids to things like having to be on their phone, having to do this, having to do that, because there is so much pressure on kids today, that achievement culture. I've got to achieve, 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 achieve. If I don't get this done, have you ever been around some of the, where that kind of rubs off on you? Isn't it, and, it, and isn't it true that whenever we feel like, you know, we're not able to rejoice or have a good time unless our competitors are having a bad time, it's going bad for them, so then we feel like, well, maybe it can go good for me. Like, what is it when our joy is dependent upon things like that? It's really fascinating in the Gospel of John, you know, as we move from the Nicodemus story and we come to this, and next Sunday we'll be talking about the woman at the well, but before we get to that story of the woman at the well, we have this incredible story of John the Baptist experiencing his own disciples trying to steal his joy, trying to take his joy from him. And so I'm going I'm to read this verse. I'm going to point all this stuff out that I was just talking about a moment ago. I'm going to point all this out for us so that you can kind of see it as, it as it jumps up here. So this is John chapter 3. If you're reading in your little handy Bibles, it's page 18. John chapter 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. And he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Enon near Salim because water was plentiful there. People were coming and being baptized. Now, verse 24 is a, a parenthetical remark, and it's letting us know that, that something's about to happen. This is kind of uh, for the Gospel of John, this is the, the writer's way of saying something's about to happen, and you need to think about this for a moment. He, and he just says, uh, John, for John had not yet been put in prison. So, John the Baptist is experiencing the height of success. People have come from all over the Greco-Roman world to experience his message, to be baptized by him in the Jordan River, to encounter this firebrand for God, hear his voice. He's traveled all over the Greco-Roman. His message has traveled all over the Greco-Roman world. Historians like Josephus talk about him, like he was well-known. And we're being told right here, like this, this person that was a celebrity, an influencer, that everybody recognized him, he's getting ready to be put in prison. In other words, everything's about to go downhill in terms of success, in terms of reaching your, your pinnacle. It's over. And so his disciples, it says, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. You're going to see this throughout the Gospel of John, so I'll just mention it here. You'll see this word Jew. That is not an ethnic term. Everybody in the Gospel of John is Jewish, ethnically speaking. So it's not like there was one Jew guy and everybody else is something else. No, they are all Jewish in terms of their ethnicity. But the word Jew in the Gospel of John refers to a specific kind of Pharisee, Idumeans. And there was a like elite group within the Pharisee group. 
And they refer to themselves as Idumeans or Jew. We translate this here as Jews. And so they were like the, the elite forces. Like they were the super committed ones. And they're always arguing, they're nitpicking, they're constantly attacking Jesus. And there's thought that when it says in John chapter 1, and he came into his own and his own received him not, there's some thought that Jesus had been part of the Idumeans and they rejected him. And so they're constantly nitpicking. You know, they're going back to that, those killjoys. They're nitpicking. They're disagreeing. They're know-it-alls, this kind of attitude. So they're having a discussion over purification, and the discussion was probably something like this. Well, what happens when you get baptized? You know, they're having an argument, this Idumean and these disciples of John. Well, you're clean. Nope, that's not what happens. He's preparing the way for Jesus. He's preparing the way for, not Jesus, he's preparing the way for the Messiah. No, that's not what happens. It's as if, you know, you're kind of preparing for the promised land that's going to come. And it's like crossing over the Jordan and you're making yourself ready for that. And so they're arguing over purification. Now, this is the same thing that happens in John chapter 2, the purification jars. Robin, I think, spoke about this with the miracle at Cana of Galilee where Jesus turned the water into wine. We have similar, we call motifs, a similar thing happening here. There's an argument over purification. There's water here. There's discussion of a bridegroom that's going to come up in a minute. So they have this discussion over purification, and it says, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. All right, let's just stop for a moment. Like we've been, we've been the show everybody's been coming to us all this time. And now that one guy that you baptized, everybody's going to him now. This is that achievement culture. we got to do something, you know? I mean, I don't think the grasshoppers and the honey is getting it for people anymore. He's turning, he feeds people bread and fish. I mean, your whole camel hair look that was probably good, but let's, it kind of stinks now. I mean, maybe we should, like, get some deodorant or something going on there. I mean, I think we're chasing people away. we got to do something. You know, we're not attracting people. We got, he's getting more people than we are, and so they're in this kind of spirit of, you know, they're doing more than we're doing. We need to get back on top of our game, get more people over here. What's going on? Joy kill. A joy kill. Now, John is going to tell us three things in this text that will make you a joy bringer. So you can be a joy kill, a kill joy. You can be a kill joy or you can be a joy bringer. And he's going to show us how to bring joy. Are you ready? Okay, good. Here we go. John answered, a person cannot even receive one thing unless it is given him from heaven. That's verse 27. This is the first thing I want to point out to you. Understand that everything you have is given you from heaven. Everything. In this case, he says one thing. What is the one thing? thing that John the Baptist is referring to, your meanness, your 
some call it inscape, your sense of individual self, that you are uniquely you. No one else can be you to the world. And they're one of the things that robs our joy and steals our joy is when we're trying to be someone else, when we're trying to please other people, and we're not living in the fact that we are heaven's delight, that God delights in you as you are, that God welcomes you. You are a daughter. You are a son of God. That that sense of meanness. Gerard Manley Hopkins talks about this in his When King Fishers Catch Fire, the beautiful poem. And he talks about how everything has its isness, the thing that it does. If you throw a rock in a well, it kind of re- makes this little sound. A rock does a rock thing when it's thrown in a well. A hawk does a hawk thing when it's up in the sky. Uh, an instrument does an instrument thing. The piano doesn't try to be the drums, and the drums don't try to be the piano. But the piano is a piano, and the drums are drums, and you are you. And you're not trying to be anyone else. And there is a certain sense of freedom and a certain sense of joy when you realize heaven has given me the gift of me. Say this with me. Say, I am me. You are you. There is something unique and special in that. And there is a joy in just resting in who you are as God's beloved child. You want to nitpick? Or you want to be a know-it-all? Or you want to do the achievement culture thing and try to find joy in all that? Mm Mm-mm. I'm going to stand right here, and I'm just going to receive that my joy comes from the gift that God has blessed me to be me. The second way to realize or to become a joy bringer can be found in the very next verse. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but have been sent before Him. Number two, you want to be a joy bringer? Don't try to be anyone's Messiah. Don't try to save people. Don't try to, you know, meet all their demands and do everything that they ask of you and try to be that for them. You aren't. There's one Messiah, and it's not you. I'm sorry. It is so free. And this is what John the Baptist is saying. I'm not the Messiah. My joy does not come from being your Messiah, from fixing all of your problems. All I can do is be a witness to what God has done in my life, but I cannot fix you. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's a work of Jesus Christ. All I do is stand here and just say, this is what Jesus has done for me. That's it. And my joy is complete in that. So don't try to fix people. Don't try to be someone's Messiah. You don't have to. Free yourself from that. It is so enjoyable to just be a witness and not be a Messiah. Messiahs get killed on crosses. The third thing and the final thing here. Verse 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the groom. And he says, whatever he wants to do with the people of God, that's what he, he can do. The bride, God's people, this is a Jewish metaphor. God's people, that's his. The friend of the bridegroom, John the Baptist is talking about himself. 
I'm just the friend to the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. I, he must increase, but I must decrease. Notice what's not happening here. He's not saying, I'm decreasing. I'm really bummed out about this, guys. My joy's gone. He says, I've heard the voice. I've heard the voice and I rejoice in that. And my joy, in the Greek, it's my joy joys. It's like my joy is joying. My joy is enjoying joy. My joy is complete. There is nothing lacking in me. Why? I heard the voice. I lived my whole life for this one moment. I just wanted to hear the voice. I heard it. I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to go whatever, whatever becomes of my life. It's okay. Look at me. I'm living the life. I stand in these waters. Yeah, more crowds are going over there. Yeah, things are moving. But I stand in these waters and I got to watch the Messiah walk into my life. I got to watch the dove come upon him. I got to watch heaven speak over him and say, this is my son. I love him. He brings me great joy. He said, my joy, my joy is you want to be a joy bringer? Get close to the voice. And I tell people all the time, I'm like when you find a church where you hear God speak, get there. Open up your heart and listen. Listen to what God is saying to you. What is the voice saying? What is the voice speaking to you in your life? I can tell you some things immediately that God is saying to every single person in this room that come through the gospel of John. I love you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. I'll tell you what he's saying over this whole audience right now. I love you. I love you. I love you. And you might be going, but I did this this week. I love you still. But I failed. I love you still. My life seems like it's a complete wreck and it's full of chaos, but I still love you. When you're in God's presence, that's what you're hearing. I love you. My peace is for you. My peace is for you. It's for you. My joy is for you. You were made for joy. You can't live life without joy. It's not a fringe benefit. You must have it. You must. And so the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. I wonder if you'd stand with me right now. How many of you would like to be a joy bringer? I'm going to tell you something. More than you want to be a joy bringer, 
God wants to make you a joy bringer. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to hold your, hold your hands open like this, and I'm going to invite you. If it's your first time here, if it's your hundredth time here, I'm going to invite you to open yourself up for an, an experience of God's joy. You ready for this? Are you ready to? Okay. And I'm going to lead into prayer, and I want you just to repeat this after me. Can you do that? Awesome. Okay. Dear God, I want your joy in my life. I want your peace in my life. And I want your love in my life. So I open up my heart to you wide. Come in. Welcome. I just turn my back on everything that's negative. All the voices, all the negativity, all the mistakes, all the sin, all the habits, all the hurts in my life, all the woundedness, I turn my back on that. And I face you right now. You're here in this moment. And I embrace you, your life and your light come in. Save me, rescue me, heal me, make me to be a joy bringer in my neighborhood, at work, at school, with my family. Let me be someone who shows forth the joy of God in my world. In Jesus' name, amen. Now watch this, watch this. I want you to turn to the person next to you. Joy comes through the countenance. This is what both theologians and neuroscientists tell us. I want you to look at the person next to you. I want you to smile super big, like super big, eyeball to eyeball, like look in the eye. I want you to smile, and I want you to say this to them. Your presence gives me joy. Now do this with me. Look up to heaven. Jesus, your presence gives me joy. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget we want to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Promised Land San Marcos, on Instagram at PSM Church, or on our website, psmchurch.com. Thanks again for listening to the Promised Land at Home podcast.